Welcome back to the Burning Phoenix podcast. Hope you're having a great morning and a great day. In this episode, we're going to talk about three different videos, uh, and they're all connected in some ways when it comes to understanding the world, how we see the world, and how the brain works, and also new discoveries and new aspects and kind of an enriched understanding of this that has come now largely through the last decade or two of the, the understanding of the brain hemispheres through McGilchrist, and then it really is uh, illuminating so much of the tradition of like 3,000 years of uh, European history, the, the, both the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Italian. So the first video, though, is also <laughs> pulling from another tradition, which is the Japanese one. So uh, our friend in Texas, Sean Mythos and Logos, he, he published a two-minute uh, kind of uh, teaser clip <laughs> for... Uh, an upcoming episode, which is which is about Shinto and the Japanese kind of uh, original, uh, what should we say, tradition, spiritual tradition of being in nature and forest bathing. So this is uh, very interesting. So Shinto is then uh, Shindao, which is the way of the spirit, and. It's about being in nature, connecting to nature, and it's very based on experience. It has very little theology. It's just more like sh simple rituals in nature, kind of just like little spots of beauty in nature become kind of like shrines. And then you go there to just have the feeling and the experience. And they have put that in the, in the term then of forest bathing. So this is something we really uh, can subscribe to, just as we try to do most days up here in like uh, in the Lake District of England, that we go out into nature and just look at the mountains and the river, the trees, and just get this feeling of being in nature and kind of communing with nature as a source of of uh, meaning and happiness and and just like a quality life experience in itself. So. We're going to put the link to all the videos we're going to talk about now. Uh, it's just two minutes uh, from Sean. What is Shinto and who are the kami? And then the second video is from our friend in Los Angeles, uh, Tom L LA Books. So he keeps working on his uh, apprehension, understanding, digesting the book from McGilchrist, The Master and His Emissary. Uh, arguably one of the most important books for the last 500 years, uh, at least. Um, it gives us a depth insight into how the brain works and it gives us a way of understanding, as we said in the beginning, the whole tradition in a new light and especially then seeing the excesses of too much left brain hemisphere, especially. Uh, and also just in general, if there is, uh, and then also the lack of the left hemisphere, which is also not good. But then in general, how to find a, a good balance, a harmony, how they can work together, but also the claim that the right hemisphere is the one that should be overall in charge. That should be the master. And on the big stuff, the biggest question, then that's the one that can actually understand things much better. So uh, Tom made a video, just five minutes. It's called The Power of Metaphors. And we're just going to read a bit from the description here. So Tom writes... Ian McGilchrist's book, The Master and His Emissary, The Divided Brain and the Making of the Western World, makes the case that the left hemisphere has taken over our minds and reshaped the world in its image in a way that is good 
for neither humans nor the planet and everything that lives on it. A way of thinking which is reductive, mechanistic, has taken us over, says McGilchrist in The Divided Brain. We behave like people who have right hemisphere damage. And this is so important that this tilt towards the left hemisphere in terms of the culture, in this, like the society, the structures, the educational system, the architecture, like just how like the, the cities are laid out, how you have like straight lines, you have functionality, kind of dominating over the experience or just like the human experience of things. Um, and there's also a really interesting fact that he mentions in the video that for children now, this is a little bit alarming, children now between five and seven years old, a third of them now have to be taught how to read a human face. Like they don't have the intuitive grasp or, or apprehension or perception of emotion in another person's face. And this used to be only necessary for autistic children, but now it's up to a third of children because they spend time with the screens they don't and machines and they spend less time with, with other kids, with just human interaction. And again, there's the right hemisphere that is, can easily understand, interpret the emotion of a face. But we are now suffering and the younger generation then alarmingly is they are suffering from uh, a right hemisphere deficit or sometimes there's damage. And then um, Tom continues, the left brain pays sharply focused attention to detail and sorts and organizes people and things into neat orderly categories. But McGilchrist says that the left brain doesn't understand relationships. It is the right brain that understands context and the big picture, our relationship with others and how we fit into a complex non-linear world in which everything is connected. And finally, Einstein said that the rational mind is a faithful servant, but the intuitive mind is a precious gift. And we live in a world that has honored the servant, but has forgotten the gift. So even someone who is so good and exceptionally gifted on the left brain as Einstein understands or understood that the intuitive mind, the right brain, is a precious gift. He doesn't use the, the, the vocabulary or concept of the left and the right brain because it was not understood at his time. But now we know that what he's describing is precisely the different natures of, of the two brain hemispheres or the two brains we have. They're only connected with this... Um, with a band that uh, is mostly inhibitive, meaning like it's just mostly uh, stopping the signals, and you have in epilepsy, uh, epileptic um, patients, they sometimes split the brain into into two parts, and people still function then. But then you also, if you do that, then you really start seeing how different the two hemispheres are, because then half of your body is connected to one half, like the cross wire, so you're right arm is connected to your left brain and your left arm is connected to your right brain. Which you can see the little side point here, but most people tend to, if you want to reach for your uh, for an object, a coffee cup or anything that you want to lift up, people tend to reach out with their right hand, right arm, because that's uh, controlled by your left hemisphere. And the left hemisphere likes to, to grab, control, manipulate objects. When people, if you're in a dark room and trying try to fumble your way and finding th things or just feeling your way through it, people tend to use their left arm and hand because that is the right brain, which is more open, perceptive, and, and, and can navigate unknown territory better. 
Okay, so that was the video from Thomas. Five minutes, just a, a very good uh, introduction, like one little input to start understanding this massive topic about the brain hemispheres. And then the third video we want to talk about is, this is really exciting to watch because this is kind of pioneering work in a sense. This is, uh, they're touching upon a topic that is uh, new that we couldn't talk about for the last several centuries because we didn't have enough knowledge to really see this. So this is between uh, a Cogsci professor, cognitive science professor, Dr. John Verveke from Canada, and then a Greek Orthodox bishop, Bishop Maximus. And it's a very fascinating kind of meeting of two traditions and two ways of thinking in many ways. And especially we just wanted to focus on one thing, which is from about 24 minutes, because they talk about the news. So there's something about different cultures. So you might say that the English language is more left hemispheric than, for example, the Greek. So the ancient Greek especially has many words that represent concepts that can't readily be translated into English. So they have the word nous. And as the bishop says there, is that the nous is often translated with mind or with intellect. And his claim, and then Dr. Verveke is very much in agreement of this, like those translations are not good and they're also hugely misleading. And the bishop then says that the nous could be more thought of something like the consciousness. And he also talks about attention. So we could now see very much how what they talk about as nous is almost like technically describing the nature of the right brain as opposed to the left brain. And then the old church founders and the kind of the Greek philosophers and especially those who, like those Hellenistic philosophers like Gregory of Nyssa who starts interpreting the biblical stories for the first time, how they are blending these things but also how they keep really a firm base in the right hemisphere and then they create a whole kind of theology, but also a language around this with Greek words and Greek concepts that we are in some ways lacking in the English. So this is just like, again, pioneering work to just look into this. Uh, I hope as many as possible uh, pick up this, these things, both like the Orthodox tradition, the McGilchrist, brain hemisphere, science, and, and try to see new discoveries that we can do, especially to create good things, like new quality good things, and also avoid the excesses and redressing this imbalance that seems to be in the culture, as you can call it, a tilt, but you can also call it a disease that is has kind of permeated uh, much of the, the Western, like the European, American, Anglo-American world with this tilt. So there might be many practical concrete solutions to discover in the coming years, just looking at this kind of crossroads of, of the, the ancient Greek traditions with the new insights of the hemispheres. So these were the three videos we just wanted to, uh, to share, <laughs> promote in this episode with Sean's video about uh, Shinto, Shintao, nature and forest bathing and Tom's video and then this idea of the news with Verveke and Bishop Maximus. Uh, and then we also just want to add one overall point, like both the last video. This is new 
And it's important to remember this overall claim from McGilchrist, which is kind of a choice that you could argue about, but it's it's really the claim that on the biggest stuff, the left brain cannot be in charge. The, the right brain is the one that can understand if the complexity gets too big, this, the time scale is too big, the, the space scale is too big, the left brain can't really grasp things properly because that's not what it's designed or has been designed, shaped, let's say, by evolution into doing. It focuses on details and builds up a model. But it's sometimes you can't just look at little incidents and then aggregate that up to a big model. Uh, you could even see something like history. You can't, some things about historical trends, you can't really capture with this um, logical methodology of finding details and building up a model. Okay, so we wanted to finish this episode with a little bit of Dante. So we're going fully into now the right hemisphere again. And we just wanted to share a few things about uh, when he starts climbing Mount Purgatory, the mountain of virtue. Uh, just to have a little bit of poetry and this really inspiring, joyful way of looking at this. But also there's some, some key insights here. So from the opening of Canto 3 in the Purgatory, like Pilgrim, uh, the Pilgrim and Virgil, uh, they have been on the beach for like two, two chapters now, and then they start moving. So it opens with the following. In sudden flight, those souls were scattering, rushing across the plain and toward the hill, where reason spurs the probing of the soul. And this is so important. So the souls is like there are hundreds, over a hundred souls coming to the beach. And then they are now moving towards the mountain to go through this purgation, through this learning about the vices and the virtues. And so they're running towards the hill. And then this key sentence, verse line, idea, where reason spurs the probing of the soul. So what we're doing in the second book of the comedy is to probe the soul, meaning to kind of drill down, dig down into the nature of the soul through the faculty of reason. So this is not an um, intuitive, spiritual way of, of, uh, of, of uh, I wouldn't say fumbling, but like gradually just trying to get an experience. This is a rational project. So reason is probing the soul. This is what Dante claims is the path to understanding yourself and also kind of the soul, the spirit, as a step towards higher things later with Beatrice. But first, it's still firmly with Virgil as a symbol of reason to investigate and to learn all the details of, of your own inner world and the soul. And it's also such a beautiful line because this is how it feels if you read Purgatory, especially the first time, and you spend time on deliberating the points that Dante is making is that you really kind of get a more detailed, nuanced understanding and an awareness, in a sense, of your 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 thoughts and your just your inner life in general. And it's interesting that in the opening he says first this that the reason spurs the problem of the soul, and then he keeps repeating this this uh, this key idea because he says then, but I drew closer to my faithful friend which is Virgil, meaning he's taking rationality more, even more into focus in his mind as he's now going to start moving towards the mountain. And then, and where could I have run without his help? She's like, you, without reason, you cannot do this. It is 
crucial to have the reason as the main focus at this stage. And he finishes this tercet with, who else but he could take me up the mount? And this is, again, we, we keep underlining this, but it's so crucial that there's nothing else than reason that could help the pilgrim up the mount of a mountain of virtue uh, and understand fully and probe the soul fully for an understanding. So um, it's just a, a key argument for the whole second book of Dante. And then as the last point in the next chapter, Virgil ex uh, explains how the nature of the climb is going to be. And he says here, this mount is not like others. At the start, it is most difficult to climb. But then the more one climbs, the easier it becomes. And when the slope feels gentle to the point that climbing up would be as effortless as floating down a river in a boat, well, then you have arrived at the road's end. So he's just giving the pilgrim uh, kind of a motivation, a little, um, a little pep talk, and also for us as readers that this, this reading and pondering of the purgatory is most complicated and hardest in the beginning, like it's steepest in the beginning, and then it gets more and more easy, and then suddenly it will be like floating down a river in a boat, even if you then still keep climbing and you keep learning new things and it gets very addictive and the first couple of terraces are the roughest ones both because it's a it's kind of you're opening a, a process of learning in your own mind and it also goes into pride and envy as the two deepest uh, vices that are uh, infusing or kind of uh, influencing so many of the other things so it's a uh, it is like you start with uh, with the deepest ones so that's also why it's harder at the beginning but then it gets much easier and this is also true again like if you do read the book and spend some time on pondering it so that's all we wanted to say in this episode i uh, hope some of this was interesting some um, food for thought and as always thank you so much for listening thanks for tuning in and see you again in the next episode <laughs>